Well, good morning again and welcome to church. It is a privilege to gather together, is it not, and lift our hearts in worship to the Lord. I mean, it's just a, it's a privilege all ours as the people of God. And so we rejoice in that. I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to let you know about a couple of things. Impact is coming up very, very soon, as Ian has said. And we have a number of seminar speakers this year, many of them you'll know, some of them you won't know because there's about six pastors, each with about three or four or five people in tow coming from Australia. So hide your phone, hide your keys, all that kind of stuff. Um, Too many Aussies in the one place, things start to disappear. Um, But there's many of them coming, so uh, we look forward to that. And uh, one of them... You may know his name is Paul Davison. He's the pastor of Hastings Baptist Church. He'll be coming to speak to us, preach to us at Impact Bible Conference. But we get a little preview before then. We've invited Paul to come and speak next Sunday. So look forward to that. Uh, Paul is a wonderful man, preaches the word, loves the word. And um, we look forward to having him with us next Sunday. And speaking of visiting preachers, another one I want to let you know about is a man by the name of Carl Hargrove. Carl Hargrove is now the Dean of Students at the Master's Seminary. Uh, he's a powerful preacher. He was one of my preaching professors, uh, a lovely, lovely man. He's about six foot six. He's black, he's African American, he does karate. He's a wonderful, powerful preacher. So he'll be here uh, just before Impact and he's going to preach to us on a Sunday morning as well. And then he's going to stick around throughout Impact and... Um, And just be with us as well. So we look forward to that. Um, But yeah, let's continue to work through the Gospel of Mark. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're working our way verse by verse through this Gospel. And it's a real privilege to do so. And it's been exciting thus far. And we pray that today will be just like that. And so we're up to, we're looking at the portion in Mark chapter 1, 16, verse 16 to 20, but we're really going to focus in on verse 17 this morning. But let's read beginning in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Follow along with me in your Bibles as I read. It says there, now after John, that's the Baptist, John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Before we begin our message this morning, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for today. A day where we can gather as your people to lift up our hearts to you. And so we pray, Father, that you would be pleased with us when we do that. And we lift up our hearts now and sit under the word of God. May you be pleased. May distractions fall away. May you help us to focus. May your spirit move amongst us. May he do a sanctifying and even saving work among us. 
May you pour out your grace this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you remember when you first got saved? That is, when you were first came to Christ. You may or may not remember the exact day or hour. For some of us, just look back and see a life transformed as a result of a life that's been committed to Christ, that's surrendered to Christ. But can you recall what it was like when you first were saved? No longer swimming about in the sewer of sin, but washed clean and risen to newness of life. Can you recall being filled with the reality and the feeling, knowing that your sins were forgiven? Knowing that the righteous judgment of a holy and just God no longer abides upon you, but instead knowing what does abide upon you, and that is the love of God. The love of God so rich and pure, so strong, so real. Can you remember being flooded with that reality? That out of His love for you, while you were a sinner condemned, He loved you so much that He set His love on you and called you out of darkness and He placed you into His marvelous light. Out of His love. That it was His love for you, not His burning anger against you, but His love for you that caused Him to set His saving grace upon you and I. Those of us who were unable to save ourselves, for who can save themselves? For, for if it was us who saved ourselves, it would be us that would most certainly lose that salvation. I know I'd lose it. Only He can keep it, and He does keep it. Out of His love, He secures and saves and seals us. But God. Ephesians chapter 4. But God, out of His abundant love for us, He made us alive together, He tells us. Out of His love, He gave us eyes to now truly see. Out of His love, He gave us ears to now truly hear. What a privilege. <laughs> what a mercy. What grace. What love. This morning as we look at Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, I want the love of God to be at the center of your heart and mind. Because as we read there in verse 17, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. With the love of God at the core of who we are, being reminded perhaps afresh of that anew, it's out of delight and not mere duty that we want to be found faithful to the Lord. It's out of our love for Him that we want to tell others about Him. Think of a man who returns home after a tiring day at work and he enters the home and he gives his wife a warm greeting. Hi, sweetie. 
and he greets her with a kiss, gives her some flowers, washes all the dishes. They sit down on the couch. She's obviously in shock, right? She's quite surprised perhaps and taken aback. We hope not. The wife says, thank you. And the husband says, oh, no problem. It's my duty. You can imagine what the wife says and how the wife feels. Perhaps you've done something like that or felt something like that before. You see, duty alone carries with it a pound of burden. But delight carries with it a ton of joy. And so we will fish with great delight because of great love. And yet, when properly anchored in love and not mere duty or some type of obligation, it is a delight for the servant to do his duty and to fulfill his duty. When we are filled with love for our master. And this morning, are we not filled with love for God and affection for Christ in that while we were lost, He found us. Out of His love, He saved us because of His love for us. And so this morning, as we look at the words of Jesus, may we be swept away by His love. Because it's immense. It's great. After all, it is out of His love that He came out of His love that He endured temptation, out of His love that He preaches the good news, and out of His love that He calls us to follow Him. That we might delight to tell others about Him. To fish for men and women. So may we be swept away in His love, and may that be the motivation for our desire to fish and to catch men and women for Christ. You see, it is easy in our day to be swept away and up by many things. Many things can captivate our attention, have our affections, receive our adoration, yet they can be fleeting and temporary. They can lack any eternal significance. I was moved by the love of Christ again this week. I met with a man for discipleship and we pondered afresh our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And how out of His love for us, to ensure that He would be our perfect substitute, that He in His humanity endured the temptations and onslaughts of Satan for us. And you recall that in verse 13 of chapter 1, when Jesus was out in the wilderness and Satan wanted Him to abandon His divinity, sorry, abandon his humanity and use his divinity to endure the temptation. And we looked at that. He's a champion. Out of his love, he did that for you and I in Christ. Out of his love for us. This young man and I had both read the book we were working through together. A book about this thick and filled with theology. And we reflected on the rich theological truths 
that it contained and marveled at them. And it was great as we unfolded that, seeing God's greatness in His attributes that are on display. It was marvelous. And it's great that we do read good books. Yet when we overflowed as a result of that deep truth and we went to the Word of God, we poured out over the Word of God. There is power in those words, the words from God, the words from Scripture. There is words of life and power. It was Spurgeon who said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Live in the Bible. And as we live in the Bible, our minds and hearts are aligned with God's will and God's ways and God's wisdom. And as we live in the Bible, the fog that the world creates is lifted by the light that we receive from God's Word. And so we spend time together in the Word of God looking at that very issue there that Jesus, as a champion out of His love for us, withstood the assaults and temptation of Satan so that He might save us. That's love. That's love. And as we live in the Bible, there's one person who is set before our hearts and minds, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. May our love for Him and our affection for Him increase all the more. And out of our love for Him, we then delight to do His will. We delight to do His work. You see, when we overflow with love for Him, there's no burden, there's only blessing. There's no duty, but joyful delight. Many an evangelism message is filled with a kind of pep talk and a fire up and do this and do this and do this. And it's all burden and no joy and delight. And the motivation is that of our love for Him, we will delight. And as we walk through this gospel... There's times where we must cease from walking and sit and rest and camp out. And we'll do that this morning in verse 17. So far in this passage, we have seen in verse 16 and 19, the initiation of the relationship where Jesus, not just randomly, but purposely walks along the Sea of Galilee and initiates a very special and very specific relationship with two sets of brothers. We saw in the beginning of verse 17, the issue of the summons, follow me. We saw in verses 18 and 20, the immediacy of the response. And this morning, before moving ahead in coming weeks, we will look at the fourth and final point, the integral aim in verse 17b. Dr. Richard Caldwell has a very helpful little four-point outline of verse 17 that I was able to adapt and change up and turn into our three sub-points for our, under this final point, the integral aim. You see, it's vital for us as the people of God to truly hear what Christ is saying in these words found in verse 17. They are important words. Have a look with me. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. These words were originally uttered to the first of the four apostles. Andrew, Simon, James and John were the first of the apostles. Called for a very specific and a very special task. And yet by divine extension these words are uttered to us also today. 
They are words from our Lord to us. Now, while we are not apostles, because there was one foundation, Ephesians 2.20, there was one set of apostles, none of us are called to be apostles, we are called to be disciples. And disciples here, we see, are called to be fishers of men. Discipleship begins with fishing. And we do that, we make disciples by preaching and by sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we draw from these words in verse 17, there are three realities about the men here that Jesus calls that I want us to see. These three realities we will see serve as the qualifications for being a fisher of men, a faithful and effective fisher of men. And as we go along this morning, we'll consider what it is that makes us effective evangelists, effective proclaimers, effective fishers of men. And I'll say to you right off the bat that this is going to be a basic message. It's wonderful to mine the depths and plumb the depths and bring up the gold, but if we can't do the basic, (laughs) we've got to revisit the basic. And speaking the truth of the gospel to others, is a basic, fundamental part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So this will be a basic message, but an important one. So let's look at the first three realities of this band of brothers. First, I want you to notice that they were believing men. They were believing men. These men, these brothers, were believers. They were converted. We noted last week that this encounter here that we read of in Mark chapter 1 with these two sets of brothers was not the first time that Andrew and Simon and James and John had encountered the Christ, the Messiah. John chapter 1 verse 35 to 42 showed us that the brothers had, by divine grace, confessed that this Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah. I want you to note that 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 is no small observation that they make. No light observation on their part. But indeed, like all salvation, it was a work of God upon their heart to see Jesus for who He truly is. The Savior, the Messiah, sent from God. They were... These four brothers, they were disciples of John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet. And John's discipleship, like any biblical discipleship, calls people to follow Jesus. And you remember that John's disciple ran off and told others about Jesus and they began to follow Jesus? That's what discipleship is, a call to follow Jesus. And so in light of that, with John being the last Old Testament prophet and and these guys being saved here, this wasn't a new covenant experience. It wasn't. But these men were saved like any Old Testament saint was. By grace, through faith, in the Messiah who was to come. What makes these brothers unique and anyone else saved during this time here is that they were going to be ushered into and made part of the new covenant 
with the outpouring and the arrival permanently of the Holy Spirit of God at Pentecost, at the birth of the church. These brothers were believing men, converted men. And that explains why when Jesus calls them to follow, they do so immediately. For to follow Jesus is to come to Jesus, and to come to Jesus is to manifest and make evident the current state of your soul, a converted one. These brothers, they knew they weren't merely following a blind man. They weren't blindly following a man. They knew they were following the Messiah. They may not have known all that they would know at this point, yet they were going to eventually know the fullness of Jesus the Messiah. They were believing men. And they didn't just simply hear the call, the summons to follow me. They also heard in the same breath the emphatic, emphatic words, and I will make you become fishers of men. I will. Jesus says, emphatically, I will. A 19th century preacher in England once said, quote, A young man asks me, what is the best way to become an effective preacher of the gospel? One person says, go to seminary. But Christ says, young man, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. How is a person to be useful? Attend a training class, one says. That's true, but there's a much better answer than that. Follow Jesus and he will make you become fishers of men. The great training school for Christian workers has Christ as its teacher, not only as a tutor, but as a leader. We not only learn of him in study, but we follow him in action, said this 19th century preacher. End quote. You see, any theology that doesn't move from the head to the heart to the feet is void. They must go from the head to the heart to the feet to action. Because if we just store up all knowledge in our head and it floods down into our heart and gets us all excited, but that excitement doesn't get us moving, you know what we just become? The frozen chosen. We must get busy doing the best things. And the best thing is to fish for men and women. Yeah, as we follow Jesus with our lives, we will then observe His ways, His love toward others, His patience toward enemies, His gentleness toward the wayward, His selflessness in dying for sinners, His holiness of life, His compassion and care to the downcast, His unashamed preaching of the gospel, His fishing of men. As we follow Jesus in His Word. And it will be He 
that makes us fishers of men. So the first mark of an effective preacher, a fisher of men rather, is to be a converted person. Why? For when you are saved, it means that you've been evangelized, someone has shared the gospel with you, and out of joy in your salvation and the love you have for God, in, re- in response to His immense love for you, you delight to share the gospel with those who are lost. That's one reason, another in a moment. You see, if, if we ever became and ever become a local church that cares only for the converted, then we can know we know not what we do. We fulfill not the call of the church and the individuals who make up the church. This is why this is so basic and yet so important. We cannot be a local church that only cares for the converted. If we were to up and leave today and disappear, would our community know we were gone? Yeah, they would. But that's not as important as this question. Would they feel that we're gone? Has it gone to our head and to our heart and to our feet and then they feel that we're gone? Because we don't just care for the converted. We want to fish for the unconverted in our community. So to be converted is to be a fisher of men. If you are converted here this morning, you are a fisher of men. These brothers who are believers, these converted men who are drawing nets for fish, will forsake that and follow Jesus and now begin to fish for people. And the reason that Simon and Andrew and James and John could fish for men is because they had been caught by the man, Christ Jesus. Further further to that, when you are saved, this is the second point about why an effective fisherman is a converted person, is because when you are saved, when you have been evangelized, You have understood the greatest need for every man, woman and child the world over. And that is the need for the lost to be saved. You've understood that. That's why a qualification to be a fisher of men is to be converted. And if you're not converted, you need to be caught. And how you get caught is humble yourself. And let the greatest fisherman sweep you up in his love. Further to that, when you've been blind and have been given sight, you want to share how others may see. So are you qualified this morning to be a fisher of men? If you're a believer, that's the first qualification. The second thing to notice about these men that Jesus calls is that they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men. 
These men, as we've seen, they were fishermen from the non-glamorous Galilee. They were not a member of the religious elite. They were not the top gun seminary graduate. They were ordinary men from a very ordinary place. You see, the plan that God has for reaching the world and ushering in His kingdom is not through the elite of the day. But God often calls the runts of the litter. The weak and the foolish in the eyes of the world. I mean, He did it with John the Baptist, right? The herald of the, the king of kings was foolishly dressed. He foolishly ate. And He spoke foolishness in the world's eyes. But he was precious in the Lord's eyes. So precious was he that Jesus said that there is no man greater than John the Baptist. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many mighty or wise or noble. And he said in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I ask you at the start, do you recall when you were saved and when you were converted? Some faithful fishermen came to fish for you. I was saved through the preaching of men who stood appearing foolish to the world on a very busy street corner and heralded a very foolish message that pleased God to save me. I am saved, I am converted, I was caught because others who had been caught went fishing for men and women. God has always done and God will always do Use ordinary men and women using ordinary foolish means, preaching an ordinary foolish message to fish for men and to save men. Ordinary. Common. Do you sit here qualified for the task? I know I do. Are you converted? Are you a believer? Are you ordinary? Are you common? Qualified for the task. We used to go out every Friday night in the CBD of Melbourne, which is where I got saved. And one of the things that I would often repeat after I began to preach out in the open air is that God could place celebrities and superstars on the corner, on every corner in this city. And if they stood there and said, believe in Jesus, it would become the very cool thing to do. Because celebrities would say it and then everyone would do it. But that's not how God works. God uses the most ordinary of folk to fish for men. To be used of God to proclaim a foolish message that saves men and women. And so Jesus here chooses the most ordinary men. These men certainly were not polished. Do you know any polished fishermen? I do. There's not many of them though, right? 
These men were ordinary. They were not know-it-alls. They were not the grand theologian of the day or the community or the church. They were the most common of men. And he called these men to be fishers of men. It was not the elite and the expert that God called to preach and to share the good news, the gospel to the lost. But it was the common convert, the ordinary believer. And this should encourage you and I. And if you think you're better than you are, it should probably, as has been well said, humble you as well. But this should encourage you and I. Sometimes the culture of a church can be that only the super saints with a seminary degree and all the knowledge, only those can do effective gospel ministry. That's not how Jesus works. He calls the ordinary to be involved in the extraordinary. The catching and fishing of men. Why does God use the ordinary? Why does he use the common? Why is there not many mighty and not many noble from noble birth? The runts of the litter. I'm a runt. Why, why does God do that? Oh, I think God often does this so that his power is displayed, not through the glory and strength of man, but through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit. I am living proof that God uses half-wits. And so may you be. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So, these brothers were believing men. They were certainly ordinary men. And last but not least, I want you to see they were committed men. Committed men. This commitment is the outworking of their converted state. Their commitment is a result of their converted state. Which is evidenced by the immediacy of their response. Jesus called them, come and they came. Jesus called them to follow and they followed. And they entered into the school of discipleship with Jesus Christ. They would go on, the four brothers and others immediately we'll see, would go on to walk with him, live with him, learn from him, follow in his example by doing what he did. They were committed to him. And they would learn not only from his words that he spoke, but also from his works. The things that he did. Wherever he went, he took them. Because it's him who will make fishes of men. And they followed. You recall in verses 14 and 15 that we read before that Jesus had been preaching, repent and believe in the gospel. This was their message. This is what Jesus was going about saying. And these men began, began to follow Jesus. And we read in Mark chapter 6 verse 12 that when these men went out, it says they went out and preached that men should repent. There was no disconnect. They were following the example of what they'd been taught. 
they proclaimed the message they had heard the Messiah proclaim. And as good students, they learnt from their teacher. And as good disciples, they wanted to be faithful to what he taught them. And they were, for the rest of their days, they shared Christ's commitment to gospel ministry, to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As you and I follow Jesus, as you and I spend time mining the Word of God and being soaked in the Word of God, and we see Christ and we follow Christ, as we learn from Him, as we observe from Him, we soon see, like they did, one of the things that the great teacher, our great teacher, is committed to. And that is reaching out to the lost with the message of salvation. And it doesn't become a duty. It's a delight. Our love for our Saviour who loves us and gave His life for us is one we delight to model His commitment to proclaiming the good news. That's what commitment looks like. Are you committed to follow Christ? I trust that you are. Many here have faithfully followed Him for many years. What a great example you can be. I called Ernie Stewart up because I know Ernie loves to go out on the street and fish. And I thought, I want to go with this skilled fisher of men. And so we went and we fished. We have many gospel tracks here that we recently got gifted with, printed with. Go fishing. These brothers were believing men, they were ordinary men, and they were committed men. And that's the type of people that God uses to be fishers of men. So you meet the qualifications. Let's close now by looking at some effective fishing equipment, if you will. Each of these three tie into the realities that we've just looked at. I want to give you three ways in which you can be an effective fisherman. Number one, a holy life. If you're a believer, you've been made holy, you've been set apart. And as we follow Jesus as converted men and women, we can only be effective when we live a holy life. A prayer-filled life. A word-filled life. Because that is a spirit-filled life. The effectiveness of our evangelism and our desire to reach those that are lost stems from a holy life. 
If there's no desire to share the good news that has been so good to you with others, there's no holy life. We must live a holy life. We must pray. We must be like the Apostle Paul who always prayed that the Lord would open up a door. I don't want to get too mystical on you, but every time I have prayed, Lord, would you open up a door in the morning? He always does. Pray that the Lord would open up a door. Live a prayer-filled life. Live a word-filled life. Because as you live a word-filled life, you will see the love of God and you will be compelled to speak to the lost about Jesus Christ as you live a spirit-filled life. In many ways, a spirit-filled life is a fishing life. Number two, a foolish message. Ordinary. You see, what we proclaim is indeed a foolish message. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As we saw earlier, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message to save those who believe. Now, knowing that we are proclaimers of a foolish message can sometimes make us shrink back, get embarrassed, become hesitant to share the gospel. I know the feeling, and I trust you know the feeling, You're a possessor of what is considered foolish to everyone around you. When that occurs and you find that type of thing overcoming you, know that this is exactly what you have been called to. To carry about, while living a holy life, to carry about a foolish message. And also know that you are the exact type of person God uses to bring others to saving faith. The believing, the ordinary, and the committed. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that leads to salvation. We carry around a foolish message. And lastly, effective equipment, holy life, proclaiming a foolish message. Lastly, is a normal, quote-unquote, approach. What do I mean by that? Well, I've heard it said that before you were a Christian, you could talk to anyone about anything at any time in any place. But then when you become a Christian and you frequent your dairy or barber shop or wherever it might be, you sit down waiting for a bus or you walk in the park or you encounter someone somewhere, you're no longer able to do that. But you become a sweating, stammering, stuttering mess. If you have a normal approach and you keep that at the forefront of your mind, it will help you as you fish for men. What do I mean by that? 
I mean by the same, what I mean by that is this. The same person you are as you talk amongst yourselves, be that when you talk to the lost. Don't feel this pressure that you have to become some type of super fisherman or have to know everything because God uses the ordinary and the converted and the committed. So out of our love for God, we delight to share the good news of Jesus with others. Will you open your mouth? Will you cast your net? May we, be follow, may, we, may we be passionate about following and fishing. Jared Wilson said, quote, It was not the expert who turned the world upside down, but the convert. End quote. The ordinary, committed believer who follows Jesus faithfully will be used of God to bring others into saving faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. We had to camp out there today in verse 17 because it's important that we have great truths of God that go from our head to our heart to our feet that we might fish. Discipleship begins with fishing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and just say thank you. Thank you that we can worship. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that we can sit under your word and hear the words that you spoke and that you speak, that you call us to follow and to fish to follow you and to fish for men, and that you will make us, as we follow you, fishers of men. Father, if there is anyone here who doesn't meet the qualifications because they're not converted, we beg, Lord, would you please save them? That they might be used of you to save others. Lord, would you give us a loving zeal and a bold compassion to reach the lost? Would you help us this day before we need your help? In Jesus' name, amen.